If uh, you're here with us for the first time, you've picked an interesting day to be here. There's probably once or twice a year where we uh, take a Sunday, and because there's something we want to communicate, communication is really hard. One of the, I, I will say, criticisms we've heard over the years is that, well, you guys don't communicate enough. Well, that, it's really difficult to do, and uh, it's difficult to do in, in written form, and it, it, it's just hard. But there are moments where we want to stop and bring something into the Sunday morning service, and this is one of them. And, and I always repeat really the same thing. The challenge in these moments is not to speak to just be understood, but to speak so we can't possibly be misunderstood. And you all are at different places. Uh, some of you have been around here uh, from the very beginning. Some have been here in the last 10, 15 years. Some of you, maybe the last 10 or 15 weeks, and some of you are brand new. So you have different levels of exposure to who we are, uh, different, honestly, this is true, just different levels of interest. Uh, some of the kind of how things work are really significant to some of you, not as significant to others. But this is one of those moments where it's just kind of a no-brainer. This needs to come in here. We need to have the opportunity uh, to, to talk with you. And, and really, uh, you're going to hear this morning from me and from uh, Jerry Smith, from Tim Moan as well. And, and today, what we're going to talk about is really the culmination of a five- or six-year process of deliberate, thoughtful planning. And it goes all the way back to the very uh, beginnings of the church when we were East Valley Bible Church. And what we're going to talk about today is the final phase of my transition from what was at one point a senior pastor and has been the, the teaching pastor uh, from, from my transition. So that's what, that's what we're going to talk about today. So the announcement is, beginning in January, uh, I will no longer be the lead teaching pastor at Redemption Church at Gilbert. So I'm going to fill in all of those blanks for you now. Talk about transition. I said, some of you, you're going to love this. Some of you are going to go, wow, you know, we can be home watching Ryder Cup. And I got that. I understand that. But this is really important. If, if Gilbert is home, this is important to you. Uh, my position historically has been that of senior pastor, and it has two components to it. And you may or may not always think of it this way. One is an internal and one is an external. The external is obvious. That's what happens on Sunday. That's here. In some sense, a, a face to the community and different organizations. The internal is part of the staff, facilities, and oversight. And that process started transitioning four or five years ago. So I'm going to take you through this. Talk a, a little bit about past, a little bit about present, and just kind of whet your appetite for the future. This may sound really odd to you. But our, our very first service was November 3rd, 1991. And even in those early, early days, and we were barely up and running, I was thinking about transition. It's been something that's been, it's just been big in my mind for a long time. And maybe because I've looked around it, and not just churches, but you see it in businesses, organizations, volunteer organizations. You see that transition oftentimes from that, that, that initial lead person transition doesn't get made. And I was determined and I'll let that happen. Aaron Bauer, I think, Aaron and Debbie, uh, first service was here 10 or 11 years ago, and, and Aaron, Aaron tells me that I was talking about transitioning even then. So it's been something that's very much on my mind. When the church began, uh, I, I was the guy who was the, the teaching pastor, the lead pastor, the senior pastor, kind of served in, in really a, a driving role. And the, and the question was, 
All the time, and you'd hear it. And you hear it really of any new organization. But in this case, what if Tom gets hit by a truck? You know, if Tom gets hit by a truck, where does this go? I heard it so much that I, and, and from certain people, that I was pretty convinced it was a prayer request at times <laughs> uh, 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 from people. But I also, I also had this sense, that I'm, I'm, I'm agile. I'm not going to get hit by a truck. Okay? I may actually ride this out. And how does this thing begin to, to change at the, at the end of that time? And when is that time? What's that look like? And it sounds really silly in those early months to be thinking about it, but I was. And, and we had a significant move in our organization. We knew change was important, but when the church moved on this campus, everything began to change. Attendance exploded. Jerry's going to talk about some of that. Staff began to be hired. Numbers began to change. And, and it was at that point that I knew we, we had to be really proactive because I looked around and I saw, uh, candidly, other churches in the valley, other churches around the country that had this moment where they built a worship center that, that seated two, 3,000 people, and you'd go in there, and there'd be two or 300 people in there. And so I began to ask myself, is that inevitable? Does that have to happen? Is, again, the, the, the church at that point was, was named East Valley Bible Church. Does it have to happen to East Valley Bible Church? And, and my answer was, I, I, it doesn't have to, but it will unless we lead deliberately through this. The, just the inertia. You've been in organizations, and again, it could be the Elks Club, it could be business, it could be a church, organizations that as they age and the leadership ages, and the same leadership stays in place, the, the organization begins to age, and almost inevitably a, de a decline begins. So there's something that took place, I don't know, five years ago, where we re-examined at, at the church our mission statement and our values. And we published for you a little card with a mission statement and eight or nine values on them. And, and the eight or nine values, uh, seven of them are what you'd see at every church. But there were two that were really important, that were really important to me. They were really important that they became part of our DNA. And in some ways, they already were, but, but they, they needed to be written out. They needed to be codified. We needed to know this was it. And here they were. One, that we were willing to change. Two, that we wanted to be an influence beyond the campus and beyond the generation. And, and I, I sit here now, I understood it then, but I sit here now and I see God's wisdom in taking those and just putting them in the water all over this campus so that you began to kind of get caught up in them and God used especially those two values to prepare us for this moment. So I sit here now, I look back, are we a place that's willing to change? I, I don't know that there's been a time when we haven't been in some sense of change. From the very beginning, we started to say, this is what we're going to do for now. But we know things change. The second thing was to be an influence beyond the generation and beyond the campus. And cer certainly our merger with Praxis and Redemption Church begins to speak beyond the campus in a formal way. I was talking to somebody the other day. They said, we go to one of your redemption churches. I said, which one? And they said, Flagstaff. <laughs> so beyond the campus, not just in Gateway, Arcadia, and Tempe, and Flagstaff, and 
all the other places that God, I think, will open up. Not just that, but to be an influence beyond the campus to say to other churches that are not going to be part of Redemption Church, hey, how can we work together? What do you have that are resources that we can merge together? And we're stronger because of it. Tyler's really led that charge. And I think we're pretty well recognized as a church that serves with open hands. There are churches all over this valley. I had an opportunity on uh, Thursday morning to have breakfast with a young man who's planted a church up north and just started. He's, got a, he's so excited. He's got a church. He went from 50 to 100 people. He is so excited. He's great. What can we do? How can we work together? How do we serve these people? What do you think the strategies are? And he's very comfortable coming to us because he knows we want to be an influence beyond this campus, but beyond the generation as well. That became a, a, a really key motivator. Even as we looked internally, we began to make hires, and there was a point where several years ago we had seven or eight pastors, and I think the oldest one was 26 or 27, and just that age demographic pushed us ahead, pushed us to change. Have we succeeded in that? I think so. Uh, there's a, a group that humbly calls themselves Pastors of Influence, and I happen to be a part of that, and I, I take Tyler with me to these meetings. And every meeting, here's the question they ask us. Every time, in the formal Q&A time, at, at, at breaks, at lunch, there's always somebody saying, how do you attract young men? And, and we understood that. We didn't always know what God was going to do, either here on this campus, but we knew this. We wanted to be a place where young men, who God would use as future leaders in the church, whether it would be here in Arizona or across the country or the world, that they would be comfortable here, that they would be welcome here. They could grow here. They could develop here. They'd be given something meaningful and significant to do. And that kind of immersion of young guys has allowed us to be part of redemption, all the stuff we do, but allows us for transition to take place as well. So when, when I sit back... And I began to look at this and started talking about transition. I tried to list the obstacles. And here's what I determined the biggest obstacle was. The biggest obstacle in the transition of most organizations is the guy who's in my chair. He's the guy who drags his feet. He's the guy who wants to talk about the good old days. And, and I was determined to, to not be the one resisting change, but to be the one leading transition. And as I say, we, we've led on, on two fronts here. Originally, if you got an old organizational chart, there was a box that had my name in it, and every line went to it. And I knew early on, it didn't matter, there wasn't that much going on, there weren't that many lines. But as the organization grew, and as I grew older and wiser, I knew that wasn't the best way to lead. So we took the internal box and we divided that responsibility up. We put it into a, a leadership team. And, and you've experienced, and some of you don't even know what happened to you. You've experienced that transition over the last four or five years. There's been stability, continuity. There's been leadership in the staff. The, the two guys who've kind of been all over this have been Neil and Tim. Neil, as he works with the admins and and the, the facilities and the budget, and Tim as he works primarily with the staff. One of the things that's become extraordinarily apparent, and there have been moments in the 22 years where, where, where it just like you strip it away and you see it, this is one of them, is that God has assembled an amazing staff of men and women here at Redemption Church Gilbert. 
They are awesome people. Who, who have experienced a change really in their life. Sometimes, most of the time maybe, having to live with the answer that said, oh, we don't know right now. But they've been extraordinary in the midst of all of that. And that transition, I said, has taken place, and it's been very smooth. It's been seamless. In, in terms of the pulpit, it's the last part of that transition. I felt it more and more over the last couple of years with the pulpit, I think, comes the real position of visible leadership and, and, and driving vision. And, and I think in the last two or three years, I haven't done a very good job of that. I'll give you reasons for it. It doesn't matter. But, but I felt that you know, we're, we're getting close to that. And, and finally, I went to the, to the leadership team and the elders, and I said, listen, I just think it's time to do this. I think it's time for us to, to, to say it, it, it's time for, for you all to, to find the, the guy that is going to take the pulpit. And Jerry's going to come in just a second and talk about that because that just drops on their lap. I, 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 I wanted a couple of comments. One of the things that to me has always been important, I, I always hate the answer, we've always done it this way. I remember being in a meeting and we had been at church for, I don't know, two or three years. And somebody came with the idea for a new logo and I was absolutely ambivalent. And then somebody said, but we've always had this other logo. And all of a sudden, I thought, it's time to change the logos. Okay? <laughs> so that's that idea of change. Because that, boy, you got to push that. And that had the idea of influence. But God has prepared us, and this has always been a desire of mine, that our past would be a solid foundation, but never an anchor. That we'd be willing to say, God's done great things, and he's done them in amazing ways. But he doesn't have to continue to do amazing things the same way. And so this, I think, is part of that. Uh, I uh, had an opportunity on Thursday to meet with the third Thursday, the leadership uh, teams, uh, volunteer leaders, volunteers. And my girls, my, my daughters have been awesome in this. They, uh, they I, I think, are a little concerned about dad and what's he going to do. Uh, and then I'll line at their door. Uh, but... Uh, they, they called and text Thursday a couple times and said, how are you doing? Several other people. And, and the answer is this, and they knew it was coming up. That would be the first big public discussion of it. The answer is I'm doing very well, and the reason is I'm totally confident this is what needs to happen. So that makes that very easy. That, that makes that whole process for me very easy. Just sit back, and, and I, I enjoy it. It's been a time of reflection for me. I was telling them first hour, I remember when we built this building, and there was a day where they brought a crane in, and they dropped some giant beams here. And there are two supporting walls at each end, and these massive beams, I don't know what they weigh, are literally resting on a ledge that's about this wide. I expect every Sunday when I come in here for this thing to implode and, <laughs> and, and you to be dashed away and some sort of thing that we read about in the news. But, but I remember building the building. I, I, I remember sitting at different services, different times, when God would do special things in the building. The first person baptized in the building was my daughter Haley. To, to sit here at Easter or Good Friday or certain moments and to just sit and to see what God has done. But I'm confident that what he's done is prepare us for this moment. There's a wonderful scene in the book of Acts 
where Paul is preaching and he addresses the, the group, the audience, and he says, men of Israel and you who fear God, and he gives them a lesson on the nation of Israel. He talks about David. Acts chapter 13, verse 36, he says, David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. So we don't, we, I don't want to go too far with that verse. What I'm saying is David served his purpose. And, and I really feel like that's kind of where this is. I, I, I don't know that those of you who have been around are, are all surprised by the idea that, that I would be transitioning. There have been a lot of things that have gone on. But you might be surprised by the timing. And, and I've asked myself that same question. Is, is the timing of it now? And all I can tell you is that I, I'm comfortable that, that this is the time to do that. I really want to, this is really important to me that you get this. The decision and the transition isn't driven by any sort of external. It's not driven by Susan's sickness or being married to Sandy or what we talked about last week with some of the stuff that I have. That's not what drives the transition. The driving of the transition is an absolute conviction that that needs to take place. The now part of it may be influenced by some of those I don't know. Here's all I can tell you is I just know it's right. I know it's time. I went back this week and found a file, and in it were my notes for the very first service we ever had at East Valley Bible Fellowship. And, and, and it was to teach Acts 2.42. And at the end, I made just some notes, some bullet points. And I wrote this. I sense this is an important day, a unique time, place, and challenge. And then there's this little line under it. All the pieces aren't in place yet. So in a sense, kind of the transition and the timing feels like kind of everything I've done. It just feels right. I can't totally explain it. I just know now is the time for this. What I want to make sure, too, I communicate, because I've had several people say, congratulations on your retirement, okay? This is not a retirement. I'll use an R word, redeployment. Okay? <laughs> I, I won't be here as the primary communicator on Sunday morning. I will be here. When people say to you, where do you go to church and where I'll spend my Sunday mornings unless I'm serving somewhere or speaking somewhere is Redemption Gilbert. This is home. Serve on the leadership team here and the, the, the Redemption Elder Board. I, I hope to teach here uh, periodically as I'm invited back and, and to be available to mentor, to coach, to learn, to be part of what I think is going to be an incredible future. Uh, Priority Living, which is the study I do during the week. I'll continue those. I, had, I didn't mention that first hour that several people ask about, so I'll continue to do that. So I'll teach Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Thursday Thursday noon. So, so that's me. That's where that is. This is home. Not going anywhere. Be here every Sunday, just like you. Uh, over the 22 years here, uh, there's been a whole group of men and women that played key roles on staff, elders, volunteers. No one has been a more constant presence in all this than Jerry Smith. Uh, Jerry was here from the very beginning. He's had a front row seat to, to see what God has done, and it's been awesome because this has been just one moment after another after another to see God's faithfulness and to see what he's done. And Jerry's had a front row seat of that. He's been a, he was on that first original elder board. Uh, he desperately loves this church. 
He has served faithfully. And, and I made a note, and at great expense. Uh, Jerry is a magnet, especially for hurting people. The tough cases and decisions land on Jerry's desk. Beyond loving the church, he loves me and my family and has been a rock of support for almost uh, 25 years. It's, it's amazing. So I, I wanted Jerry, once, once, the, once I went to the elders and said, this is what I want to do, now those guys have to begin to deal with that. So I thought you should hear Jerry's heart, a little bit of history, and uh, hear from him where we go in the future. So welcome Jerry Smith, if you would. got this hunch that he's got me up here at Exhibit A that leadership is getting old. This kind of back up that statement that he made, living proof of the whole thing. You know, I have had the best seat in the house for the whole thing. I was here from the beginning and have been here most of the Sundays. So 22 plus years ago, God put a vision into the heart of a group of people to plant a church in the East Valley. And we wanted to have Tom Schrader at that time be our lead pastor. We had uh, zero background in church planning. We didn't have a clue. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know where we were going. Uh, but we had to trust the Lord with this vision. And that, that is the way this church got started. And God was very, very good to us. We had some very simple goals in mind. We wanted to teach the word of God. We wanted to honor God in all that we did. And then we were really selfish in this. We wanted to create a church that we wanted to attend. That seems pretty simple, doesn't it? God honored our vision, and we stepped out in faith, and we planted this church. And, and uh, it was kind of interesting because this is what we didn't have. We didn't have any money. We didn't have a building. We didn't even have a phone number. If you wanted to get a hold of somebody, you couldn't. It was that difficult to get this thing started. And in the beginning, Tom insisted that he wasn't going to take a salary, and we just were gracious and accommodated him all the way on that one. That was great. <laughs> If you listen carefully, when he talked about it, he actually gave the original name of the church. It wasn't Redemption Church. It wasn't East Valley Bible Church. It was East Valley Bible Fellowship. And over the years, it transitioned like everything else, and, and that name became East Valley Bible Church and then Redemption. Four elders were appointed when we started. Tom was an elder. Dave Moore was an elder. A man named Haskell Kynert was the elder, and I was one of the original elders here. And... Uh, our job was basically to run the church, and we actually didn't have any work that we had to do. We gave all of that to volunteers, so they had the ministry, and we got to tell them what to do. So we rented a, a small building, which is now a, a, a charter school over on Dobson. It was a church that met in the morning, and they had a couple buildings. So we came in. We had a service at 4 o'clock. We had a service at 6 o'clock, and we just kind of got going, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it seemed like everybody 35 and younger with three or four kids started showing up on Sunday. And they, all of a sudden, we had all kinds of needs. We had a need for children's ministry. We had a need for men's ministry or women's ministry. They had all kinds of expectations, and it was our job to fill them. And, and we, were, we were so, God was so good to us. God was so good. He brought in volunteers, and they stepped up, and we started to meet those needs, and the word got out that we just really had a great church. And the secret behind it all was the Lord blessing us and also the volunteers. From day one, we have had the best volunteers. They have been so good. They've been faithful. They show up, and they love to come. So eventually, though, we got to the point where we had to hire some employees. 
Our first employee was Gary Bloomquist. Gary took over the music, and not long after that, we brought in Les Taylor, and he was a full-time administrator for us. Along the way, we added elders, Roger Wallen, Mark Cronwald, Chuck Holmes, Tom Angstead, uh, Jim Scorza, Howard Morrison, and our rapid growth started to challenge us. We, I mean, we really got into some trouble because we didn't have enough room. We needed a bigger facility. So we decided to have a big dream and build a church. A dream to build a church. And on this very site where you're sitting right here, a, group, a family from this church graciously went out and bought the 21 acres this sits on. Let me give you an idea about that. We were over in Israel a couple of years back, and we looked at Jericho, where the walls came tumbling down in Jericho. It was on 14 acres. This church is 21 acres. They bought that land, and they gave it to us. How gracious is that? They gave us that. What a blessing that was. And we were halfway home. Now, with no money, all we needed was a building, a chapel, and some facilities. We had zero money at that time. And so what we did was we went to the people, and we asked them, the elders, to do it. And so we went to them and we said, would you loan us some money? And they did. And they did. And they did. And the money came in, and we were able to build this building and the one that's, part of the one that's over there. The, we have expanded. And we, put, we went to work, and we started building a bit. While we were in the process, before we raised the money, there was a group of people from this church who came in here every Sunday, right in the very spot where you were. They held hands, and they prayed for about an hour. They walked around here, and they prayed that God would raise the money and would plant this church. And the faithfulness of God has shown all about that because of what they have done. You know, there was a pivotal moment, pivotal, pivotal, pivotal moment in the, in the church here when we were building the thing. And all of a sudden, we were assuming, because we had about 600 people on Sunday over at the church on Dobson, we assumed that everybody was going to come with us. But some of the people weren't happy anymore. They got into our church, and their expectation was they wanted a nice, small church where they knew everybody, kind of like cheers. And, and you know what? It started to grow, and it started to grow, and they didn't want to be a part of it because they knew it was going to expand. Tom and I were at a restaurant, Coco's, years ago, and we were talking to a waitress. We asked her if she went to church. She said she couldn't find a church she wanted. And Tom said, well, what would that look like? And she said, well, I would like a very, very, very small church with a very dynamic pastor. Well, that isn't going to happen. That's an oxymoron. It isn't going to happen. So they wanted a small church, and they left. But, you know, remember Field of Dreams? If you build it, they will come. Well, when we built it, they started to come. We left there at 600 people, and the second week that we were in this very room right here, there were 1,200 people coming on campus. And they started to come, and the word got out. And before we started planting churches, which is a few years back, we were up to a, an attendance on Sunday of about 5,000 people that the Lord had brought into this church. And then we started spreading them out and sharing them into other campuses. And we began hiring staff as well. The, the excitement at East Valley Bible Church started to bring in young pastors. They started coming in asking if they could be a part of it. The word got out that there were things happening and that the Lord was working here. And they came to us and they said, could we have a job? Could we have a job? Tim Maughan, who's sitting over here, uh, 15 years ago, sat right down in those seats right there. He came in with two elders from Chicago. Somebody had called Tim and said, come down here. You've got to see this church. And Tim was a youth pastor in Chicago. And Tim came down here, saw what we were doing, and he came down here and expected a job. We didn't have one. We needed a custodian, so we made him the colonel of the urinal. 
and he took the job. That was, what, that was the best we could do, you know? You know, during that time, the elders ran the church. They made the decisions. The staff came on, but none of the decisions were made by the staff. They came on. Tom was the lead pastor through all that, but he was doing priority living two and three days a week, two, two days a week, and there were decisions that had to be made daily, and really, there wasn't anybody there. You know, from the very beginning, we, we knew that we would have to hand this church over to the next group of leaders. Transition is inevitable. We're not going to live forever, and Tom mentioned that, and we knew it was going to happen. And Tom introduced the need to the elder board for an executive pastor. And there was some pushback on that. Someone to lead the staff, someone to mentor the pastors. And we considered our options, because uh, this would be a massive change in how the church is going to be run. And we opened up some discussions in the elder board, and they went something like this. Should the pastors sit in on the elder meeting? What if we gave some of the pastors the title of elder? What about a leadership team, a mixture of staff and elders and non-staff? And that went on for a long time. We talked, we prayed, we discussed, we argued. Uh, and Tom championed the idea to combine staff elders with non-staff elders to run the church and meet the needs of the staff. And ideally, they would allow the non-staff elders more time for prayer, more time to walk among the people, more time for vision, and more time to just relax and not be involved in the day-to-day -day events because they weren't there anyway. I, I knew without a doubt that was the right decision for this church, and I felt God's hand all over that decision. It was long overdue. It, was, it, it would bless the staff, and it would, help, it would help us move forward and go on to the next step. Tim Maughan, Neil Pitchell, and Tyler Johnson became the staff elders, and they have done an excellent, excellent job. When that was done, Tom started a dialogue about his replacement. Who would take the pulpit? Who would be the next teaching pastor? And Tom encouraged us to push forward, to start a search. Where do we start? Where do we go? What, what does that look like? Do we go outside the church to search? Who would that be? Would they, would, would they fit into the unique culture of this church? Would the current staff respond to them? How would you respond when you came in here and somebody moved in from Chicago or wherever they would come from? And we prayed and we kept moving forward, but quite honestly, there was never any comfort within the elder board. It was unanimous. We were not comfortable going outside of the church to see who was going to replace Tom. And it became pretty obvious to us that we needed to look inside the church for replacement first before we go outside. And you people who have been here regularly know that the majority of our pastors at one Sunday or another have been up here and done an excellent job from the pulpit. We have got a ton of good people here. Thank you. God has blessed us with excellent, excellent teachers. Well, very quickly, Tim Maughan's name came right up to the surface, came right to the top of the list. We had 15 years, if you count his time as colonel, we knew what we were getting here. We, we knew who he was. And, and Tom is going to be the, the pastor that takes over as teaching pastor for Tom Schrader. Tom, or Tim is, is an excellent, excellent teacher of God's word. He loves the Lord. He's a man of prayer. You see, you see his sons up here every week, all four of them at one time or another, are usually here in a given week leading worship with him. 
and he is the perfect fit for this church. How do we know that? It's pretty easy. He's been doing it. He's been doing it. Tom was gone a couple months this summer, and there he was right up there, and we are very comfortable with what he's doing, and, and we are very comfortable that he will be a, a, a good replacement for Tom. And, you know, it was right in front of us all the time, and the elder board took a, took a vote on it, and it was a unanimous vote on the very first time that we were going to do that. And I believe, I believe this. I believe the Lord had us look outside of the campus so that we could see what was out there and then really come back and appreciate what he'd already had. It was sitting right there with us. So Tom Ma, Tim Maughan is going to be replacing Tom in the pulpit. You know, as much as I love Tom and you love Tom and as grateful as we are for having sat under his teaching, we also need to acknowledge and thank Tom for his unselfish decision to encourage the leaders to think ahead and to find a replacement to secure this position right up here in the pulpit. So, Tom, thank you for that. If you're a regular tender, you've sat under Tim's teaching, and, and you will not be surprised. You will see some changes coming, but the Word of God will be teached here. This will be taught here. Pardon me. Where's my, where's my English teacher when I need it? I went back to my 50th high school class reunion, and my teacher looked at me, and she looked old, and I looked old, and we just started talking about things, and not much changes, you know. You don't learn that much. So anyway, let me, uh, let me pray for our church and for Tim and where we go from here. Father God, this is your church, and we call it our church because we love it here and, and we have ownership in it, but ultimately, Father, this is not about our legacy, it's about our faithfulness to what you would have us do in, in the body of Christ. So, Father, this has been a great, great trip. It's been an opportunity to make the, known, the name of Christ known in the in this county, in the city, in this little area in Mesa, and all in Gilbert, and all around here, Father, and we ask you to continue to use us, Father, whatever way you please, so that at the end of the day, that your name would be glorified and these people would be fed. In Jesus' name, amen. Jerry, thank you so much. Thanks, man. I want to introduce Tim to you. Let me just, again, make a couple of comments. I, I mentioned Neil in this whole process of transition. One of the things that will not change will be Neil's position. Neil was, is uh, there. He's been an anchor. He is uh, uh, an, an important part of the team. And uh, if you tried to write a job description and say, we're going to go get an administrator, that'd be so inadequate because Neil does that and he does as well as anyone. But he's so much more than that with facilities, so much more than that with his pastoral heart, with a, a stage of life ministry, salt, newly marriage. I, I always say he's the guy you're most likely to see in a suit, which means funeral or wedding. And those are all pastoral in nature. And Neil has been a part of this team, a key part of this team. Uh, in the midst of chairs getting moved around, I want to make sure that the importance that Neil plays on the team and to the, and to the church uh, is, is understood, recognized, and you understand that he's going nowhere. So that's a really big deal. That's important to us. Uh, I, I made a list in getting ready, uh, prepared for Thursday night, just single words when I, when I thought of, of Tim. Uh, he is honest, authentic, decisive, straightforward, He's Bible-driven. He cares deeply about people. He's courageous. He loves God. 
And one of the things that I got as I sat and I looked at that list is it struck me, those are all words I've heard to describe East Valley Bible Church now redemption for 21 or 22 years. And that, that, that fit right there is perfect. When, when Jerry talks about going outside, it's really significant. One of the things that we've valued in all of our hirings and elders and everything is, is fit. How, how does it fit? Tim is a perfect fit. His fingerprints are all over this campus now, but he's going to have the opportunity for the next decades to influence in a, in a direct, real way this church. I'm excited about that. I made the comment, this is the way I, I, I expressed it the other day. If Redemption Gilbert were a stock, I would be calling my broker tomorrow morning. <laughs> this is a wonderful time. It's a rich time. I'm so grateful for the support and, uh, and faithfulness that you've given to me. And, and know that it wasn't just me. It was to what God's doing here. And God's doing something special. And it's going to think, I think, get bigger. I don't mean numerically, I mean what he's doing, his influence, the spirit working in our life, and that will be really with Tim's leadership and direction. So welcome Tim Mon, if you would, please. Thank you. Um, the guys, when we were talking about this moment um, several months ago, we're trying to figure out what's the best way to communicate, and... Uh, they gave me a word, and it was feelings. Talk about how you feel. And I find it very difficult to put everything that there is to think about what we're talking about in a, in a concise way. But I, I jotted down words to kind of help me uh, lead through uh, describing what I'm going through and how I feel. One, the first word is here. Um, I know Jerry's talked about the coming to Arizona, but I was in a... I was in a really sweet spot in Chicago. It was the beginning of my ministry life. I had done part-time work for about eight years and another full-time work for eight years, and God was just showing up. He was blessing, and kids were getting saved, and our ministry was growing, and I was learning, and, and, uh, and God was good, as he always is, but exceptionally so for me at the time. And uh, it was one of those uh, places uniquely wired for me. God knew me. He knew exactly what I needed, and that was a perfect uh, moment. I was in a, a really Bible church, hardcore Bible church, and not hardcore grace, but hardcore Bible, if you know the difference. And, um, and I started in ministry idealistic like crazy. I had a senior pastor who, um, when they hired me, said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disciple you. And I was looking forward to that because that was a new concept back in that day, believe it or not. And, and he handed me two files. One was on assurance of salvation. One was on some spiritual disciplines or something. And then I never saw him again. And we never met. He didn't talk to me about anything. So I, I spent a lot of time in my office with this Bible right here. Every thought I've ever had about God and Jesus and the, and the grace of God, I, I've kind of worked out in this Bible. And, and I worked really, really hard, and God just started doing stuff. I was, you know, we saw the Chuck Holmes video a couple weeks ago, and he said he was ignorance on fire. Well, me times 10, you know, because I had more fire than most people. And I, I, was, I was converted about 20 years old out of a... A Christian home mindset. Do you know the diff You know what I'm talking about. I, my dad was a pastor. I had been in it my whole life, and I didn't know these words. But proximity is how I'm saved, right? I'm around it. 
It comes with the birthright. And God, at one point in time in 1981, just put my sin on me to such a degree I couldn't breathe. And even though that's a very painful experience, the result was I received salvation and God's grace. Because I had to see my problem first, right? And so God did that. And as soon as the lights came on, as soon as I knew Jesus, I wanted it. Whatever it was, I wanted it. I wanted to tell people about it. I wanted to teach people about it. And I was too hyperactive for most people. So I thought, well, I'll do students. They'll let me run around in there. And I won't, I won't hurt too much. And so I went off to Bible college. And I met my wife and, and uh, started in ministry and, and ended up in Chicago. And God used that whole thing in a, a really wonderful way to give me... Uh, opportunities and to see the Holy Spirit working in people's lives. And then I got a call from a friend who had moved to Arizona. And uh, he was talking about this church. It wasn't even in this building yet. It was over in Dobson. And he was talking about this guy, this straighter guy. And, and, uh, and how it was different. And both of him and I were, had been in similar environments before. And he was talking about how different it was. And it was uh, it wasn't as churchy as we were used to, and there was more freedom and opportunities. And, and he presented it in such a way like I was just, I was smitten over the phone. And I uh, flew out with a couple of my elders in October of 1997. And, uh, and I really wrestled with it because I'm, I'm, my DNA is loyal. I die with people. I don't go anywhere. And um, I didn't want to really leave. I didn't want to really leave. And this is a true story. I haven't told it to anybody else. I didn't even tell it to the other service. But I remember as soon as we were done with the service, I went with the elders out to eat. And I just said, tell me if you want me to stay, and I'm committed. And it was silent. And I thought, okay, God, there's no clearer way to tell me where I'm supposed to go than that. (laughs) So... um, so I didn't have a job, and I didn't, ha- I didn't have a um, home. I had one last camp to do at that place, and I took some high schoolers up to northern Wisconsin. I came back on January 11th. On January 12th, I got a U-Haul. I threw everything in the truck, and we drove off. I got to Gallup, New Mexico, before I got a phone call from my friend who had talked to some pastor at Bethany named Neil Pitchell, who had a house that I could rent. And so one day out of Phoenix, we found a place to live. And uh, we moved into the house, and I came over here because they were looking for custodian. I thought, I just want to be around. I'm going to work hard and be around. And, and, and so I, I took that role as, as well as doing student stuff on my own. And, uh, and that was 15 now. This will be the 16th year coming up. And God has done a lot of amazing things, grown me. Uh, clearly, my family has all grown up here. Uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful thing. But there was a, there was a phrase, really, that, that I still think about that my friend told me um, when I was kind of stuck between being loyal and caring about the people that I loved and worked with and, and the kids that were in my ministry and then thinking about the possibility of something else. He said, listen, there's going to be big things going on at this church. Do you want to experience it or do you just want to read about it? And I, I, you know, I was 36 and on fire and, and I don't even know how to tell you how much, but um, I was in. I was in from a long ways away, 2,000 plus miles. So we came in uh, that year, and that's been 15 some years ago. Um, another thing I want to talk about as far as my feeling is, is let's now fast forward to these 15 years, is, is you folks. I have the uh, privilege to know some of you, um, some of you uh, better than others. Uh, a lot of you I see you on Sundays, and, um, but you need to know this. I love you. 
I think about you. I pray about you. I have been praying faithfully for you, generically, for things that God would do in your life and through our lives together. I think about everybody at the 830 service and the 4 and the 6 and the students and 710. I care deeply. And um, that's, that's true. That's in my heart. And, and uh, so... That also includes the staff. We have, Tom talked about the healthy staff. Uh, they're amazing people. They are, um, we are in a sweet spot. We took a, a staff retreat a couple weeks ago to go through this process together with them. And I mean, Jesus was there. The Holy Spirit was there. He was in our worship and our study. It was a very wonderful time. And it just reminded me that God is getting this thing ready. And uh, so we have a wonderful staff, and, and I have to say this. I know Neil's already been mentioned, but Neil and I, um, we're in the office quite a bit. And uh, when I'm frustrated, when I'm excited, when I whatever, I go to Neil. And Neil and I talk a lot. Neil's a great friend, but he's an amazing pastor. And, and you have no idea how privileged you are to have that man here. So thank Neil, will you for me? So I, I, do, I do really care about you folks more than I can express and probably more than I have time to do it so individually, but maybe over the next period of years we can do that. I want to talk about how I feel about the job. I've had people say, hey, are you excited? And I can't use those words. They're not, they're not words like uh, this is not, a, I don't see it as a promotion. Every time God has put something in front of me, I step into it scared to death. Because it's a big job, right? This is his bride. You're his people. And this is a huge thing. And it's clearly bigger than me. But I have unbelievable amounts of confidence in him. I'm not, I'm not afraid of it. I'm afraid of him. You understand? And that's part of the problem is I could get up and I could teach. And I think I've got the routine. i got enough church in me to, to kill you folks forever. <laughs> and that scares me. Because you don't need me. You need Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit to show up and take these words somehow mysteriously through a guy and have it transform lives so that we go out and live like him. And it, when that happens, oh, this will be, be incredible. I have a whole bunch of confidence in him, so I kind of wrote a word or a phrase. It's confident fear. I'm afraid of me if I can just do it and I get comfortable and lay back and, and just enjoy it or if I march out every day going, okay, God, this is really important. This is your bride. You love them dearly. You gave your life for them. I have to keep trying and not to be approved of. I don't struggle with that because it's so important. Do you understand? So I look at it not as a promotion but the next thing God's called me to do and I'm going to do it with all my heart and I want you to pray for me um, in that the other part is the me part of how I feel. Um, part of the reason why I'm here, part of the reason the way I am and in ministry is due to a couple of conversations for over a couple of days with a guy named Alistair Begg. He uh, came to visit our church about, I don't know, 16 years ago. And I was in a place where ministry was just blowing up in the best way. And yet it was, it was uh, not being received in the best way. And, and so I was struggling with just giving it every ounce of life I had at the same time having people not see it for the, what I think the Holy Spirit was doing. And so I had a friend who worked on Alistair's board, and I said, can I get some time with him just to pick his brain? And so we sat down for a couple of days to talk about ministry and, and how to feel about ministry. And the very last day, um, he was out on the golf course. We just gave him a driver for speaking for us for a couple of days. And, and I said, man, you got to help me. Uh, move on from here. What do I do? And he, he grabbed my Bible, this one, and that's why I, I brought it today. 
And in it, you can see some writing up here. This is Alistair and, and a date, 1997. And he said, you, when you're in it, you just need to hang on to it. This is who you are as a pastor. So this letter, 2 Timothy, is written to a young pastor who's probably a little insecure, or probably a little bit fearful of the task, probably a little bit over his head. And he obviously gets through the power of the scriptures, that all scriptures God breathed and it's profitable and useful for developing righteousness in every man and woman of God. And, and then he begins chapter four with these words. And he read it to me. We were standing out there on the practice tee and he said, he read this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And then he took a pencil and he circled verse 5. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And so every t ever since then, man, that's all I go to. So if you want to know who I am, that's, that's who I'm praying to be all the time. Uh, I just want to be faithful to the truth, to the word. I want to be faithful to people. I want to never quit. And you, if you know me, you know my personality. I'm, I'm driven that way. So that's a little bit of how I feel personally. I wrote, a, uh, I wrote Tom's name down here about feelings and... Um, I have to tell you something. When I, I came out to visit, I, I spent a day with Tom and, and spent the other day scratching my head because um, he's not like every other pastor I've hung out with. And, and, and that was part of my struggle, to be honest with you, because the pastors I hung out with, I didn't want to be like. And it wasn't that they didn't love Jesus. It just was so non-connected to real life or real people. And I thought, how, do we, how can I be me and do what I think is the most important thing in the world and not turn into someone like that who can't relate or doesn't care to. And, and I hung out with him and I go, he doesn't sound like a pastor. <laughs> and he doesn't act like it. And I, so I kind of, it, it's my version, it's my phrase, I coined it. Um, the highest form of compliment I can give Tom Schrader is that he's normal. <laughs> yeah. And so... God has used that over 15 years to grow me. Um, I'm a dr my personality can really kill people. I'm driven. I'm driven. I, I see target and nothing gets in my way. And, and I mean that sincerely, like I mean it in the best sense, but it can be damaging at times. And I'm, um, I'm intense. And God has worked on me and worked on me and some of it, a lot of it through watching him react or better said not react to the little mountains I wanted to go die on. And, and, and describe the big ones that are worth it. Do you know the difference? And, and so I watched that, and I, I watched how he would lead staff or how he would just deal with his own life and his own pressures, and, and it's shaped me. It's paced me, and, and my own sin has paced me and shaped me. But I, I have to tell you, um, I love Tom Schrader. I, I have since I met him. We, we've hung out a lot. Um, we've hung out a lot and talked about things that have nothing to do with church or, or faith. We've talked about life, and we've laughed a lot together. Um, it was a pleasure to follow Tom. And Tom is my friend. And uh, I, before we move on, um, I think as a, as a church who's experienced 22 years of a man's life, uh, and there's more to that than I can even say, we should thank God for Tom. Amen.
And because I'm close to him, I got a lot of him on me. And uh, so hopefully that makes it a little bit more comfortable as we move forward. I got to finish with one word, uh, vision. I've been praying like crazy for the last several months um, for us, for this place, for our, for our mission. I'm not confused about what it is. God has put us in Gilbert, for crying out loud, so we're going to reach Gilbert and Chandler Mesa. This isn't a mystery. Um, I know, I think, where we're at. I think we need to go someplace. Nothing new, something very, very, very old, but very, very powerful. And I've been praying for those things, and I've been organizing my thoughts, and, and I know this, none of this, none of this will happen if it's just me. It's going to require every person in here to see their role in the kingdom of God and step up in ways you've never thought about stepping up or you quit stepping up many years ago. I, was, I read a passage to the leadership on third Thursday. John 10 is Jesus talking about being a good shepherd. Clearly, he's the example of, of everything that passage talks about. Um, but it applies to shepherds. And I believe this. I believe it's biblical that every person who names Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior becomes a shepherd immediately. At some level, we are called to give it away from day one. We're shepherding the truth. We are shepherding lost people. We're going after the lost. We are agents of change in this world. And so because of that, uh, Jesus uses a wonderful contrast compare illustration. And I'll teach this coming up in a, in a few weeks. But um, he talks about the difference between a hireling working for a shepherd taking care of sheep and an owner. And when trouble or fear or insecurities come against the person in the hired hand, he drops his staff and he runs away. He doesn't care about sheep. But to an owner, someone who's really a shepherd, the text tells us he lays down his life for the sheep. The call of God for the people of God is bigger than we'll live naturally. And so the, the biblical bar is going this way because we're called to it and we, we miss out on the power of God in it. And so I'm, I'm, you can tell my gun is loaded, loaded for bear. And um, I'm excited about it. And like I said before, don't, don't freak out, don't panic. You're not going to hear anything you haven't heard before. We're just going to do it. Okay? Thank you so much for uh, listening. Let me invite the, uh, I want to invite the elders up. When you talk about vision, you're going to, we're going to take a yes. Sunday. Yeah, Yeah. I should tell you that on uh, October 28th, um, I will kind of do a first blush on the future where we're going together. So uh, if you could um, plan to be here with us that Sunday on the 28th, I will give you a glimpse of where we're going and places we can pray on the way. So, Perfect, thanks. Jerry, you want to pray? Yeah. Let, me, let, me, let me just introduce, the, some of you don't get a chance to actually see who the elder board is here, and obviously you know Neil, but Wes McDaniel right here, Bruce Barkley, and Chuck Bishop. So just see, put a little face with it and you see him walking around the campus. So anyway, let me do it. Pray for Tim. Father God, you... Uh, are very particular about who gets to get up front and teach your word to the, to the body of Christ, Father. And you have allowed uh, Tim to come into our church and you have given us a vision for him, Father. And we feel very comfortable that he is your selection. And so, Father, we get behind this and we ask you to bless him. We pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to him and through him, Father, that he would teach out the word of God faithful to the word, Father, and it would grow among the people that we have here. So, Father, we're thankful for helping us through this. We're thankful that Tim is here, Father, and we look forward to what you're going to do in the future as you use him 
to grow this sheep of this group. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.